So it's so good to be back with you again today. For those of you who were traveling out and about, uh, it's good to have you in the mix. Uh, just a quick update that we are so excited about. We had a youth uh, relaunch planning and prayer time on Friday night. And uh, we're starting and sort of relaunching Hope Youth as it were for teenagers um, at the Sports Hub. Um, there's been a great youth happening there. We're, we're, we're sort of doing a relaunch there. And we can't wait to see what God does in the teens in our city. If I track across... Um, if we look at teenagers on the whole in Harare and we look at those involved in anything faith-based, I would say there's probably about 5 to 10% of teenagers in our city who have any interest in faith. And uh, I'm just going, Lord Jesus, would you change that? And would you use that to change us? Would you save teenagers from a trajectory that's leading them away from God and ultimately away from Him? and on wasting their lives that don't count. So, so we're excited about that. Please be praying with us. If you have teenagers, if you have grade sevens getting into the teenage years, please do chat to us. And if you're keen to serve, I don't mind your age. If you're going, I'm 75, but I have a heart for teenagers, come and chat to me. If you're a teenager and you're going, I want to serve and be involved, your 20s, your 30s, if you're not even a believer here yet today, and you're going, well, I, someone just invited me to come. I don't even believe in Christ yet, but, but for some reason, teenagers are my heart. Come and chat afterwards. We're excited to see what God does. So we're back in the Gospel of Mark today. And if you have your Bibles, I would love us to turn to that Mark chapter 8. Uh, we've been tracking through it. We've been loving going through the stories of Jesus. So Mark chapter 8 is going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. So don't worry about that. And we're going to pick up the story in Mark 8 verse 22. And if you're exploring faith here today, this will give you a picture of who Christ is. Those who would call themselves Christ followers here at Hope Church, maybe somebody who's invited you, this will give you a picture of who Jesus is. You might have heard about what he's like from other places, but this will give you a picture of who it is that Christians follow. And you know, sometimes in life we need to be woken a bit from our slumber. In the northern suburbs, we particularly need to be woken from our slumber or from the lives in which we lead. And so I think today's going to jolt us into the reality of what's happening around us. Uh, Sarah and I were chatting this week. We were saying if we believe that God is spirit and he created everything that we see that's physical, actually spirit and what's happening in the spiritual realm is actually more real than the earthly realm, if you think about it like that. So actually everything that's spiritual is of far greater importance and actually dictates what we see physically around us. Um, because actually when we pass through this lifetime, when we die, we go one of two places, heaven or hell. Um, and those are spiritual realms. Yes, we'll have bodies and God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But again, spirit is what defines those things. And so we were talking about the reality that we're looking at today is actually the definer of all else. So let's read together. This is the first bit. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought him, Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch this blind man. He took the blind man by the hand, he led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, I'll explain that in a bit, pretty strange and weird, laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He asked this blind man, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he had this rough picture of people. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not enter the village that you've just come from. You know, Jesus' life was filled with the miraculous. We've, those of you who've been here for a few Sundays the past few, you would have seen amazing miracles that Jesus performed, that people who followed him saw, that people who didn't follow him saw. And he did that to demonstrate 
the supernatural nature of the kingdom of God, that we believe in the supernatural nature of the kingdom of God, what God's like and one day what heaven will be like. And we believe that he heals today. That's why we pray for people to get healed. That's why we've had wonderful testimonies here of people seeing transformation in their bodies and in their hearts. That's why we do it. But this was quite an interesting healing. Firstly, he leads the man away from the village. I think for a few reasons. Number one, fame had spread about who Jesus was. And so actually increasingly towards his death, he would often actually take people aside and speak to people aside because there was such a following and he didn't want to create even more chaos. And secondly, there would have been people who were quite against what Jesus was doing there. And he wanted to sort of get away from them to actually do some ministry at the same time. He had a mission and he didn't want anything to get in the way of that. He didn't want the miracles he was doing to stir up chaos for the wrong reasons. But he cared about this man. Just as the word that came with the lepers, Jesus cared. And if you're sitting here today and say, I just kind of feel like God's forgotten me. Or something happened when I was a teenager. Or something happened last year. Or something happened a few years ago. And actually, I don't feel like he cares. He cares. You're going to see that today. So he wanted this blind man to know that he loved him. To know that he cared about him. And so he takes him by the hand. He could have got his disciples to do it. But I love the fact that Jesus the king takes this individual blind man by the hand, walks, chats, leads him out of the village. Remember they're walking, not jumping in a car. Would have taken a bit of time. He just oozes compassion. He's close to the oppressed. He loves those that society has rejected. And he wanted this man to know it before any miracles, before he's restored his sight. He wanted to know, I actually care about you. I want to know you. I want to find out who you are and what you're going through. But it's also interesting that there's no set formula to what Jesus used for miracles to come about. And this was purposeful. Imagine if Jesus gave us seven steps to divine healing. Follow these seven steps, it's done. All your, all your problems go away. Your emotional problems, your mental problems, your physical problems, they're done. Just follow the steps. Tick box, tick box, tick box, healed, done. Well, if that really happened, and if Jesus truly did it like that, can I tell you there would be no need for faith. There'd be no need for trust. There'd be no need for heaven, which is coming one day. There'd most definitely be no need for Jesus. And so the reason why he gives no formulas to healing is purposeful. The reason why he did it different all the time is purposeful. Because he wants us to act in faith. He wants us to step out, to listen for his voice, and uh, to know that there's no steps to these sorts of things. But people aren't sure why Jesus spit in the guy's face. Imagine this. So he's taking them around. His disciples are there. And they've seen him pray for people. They've seen him touch people. They've seen him just speak and people are healed. 5,000 people are fed. I mean, he's seen this. And suddenly, talking to the person, and then he just spits in this guy's face. I think the disciples have been like, hey, Jesus, we're out of here, right? Eh? It's a bit weird. It would have been weird to me. I would have been going, what, what, what's, what's he doing? But it was, it was quite strange. He then lays hands on him. He says, can you see? And he says, I can see a little bit. He would have been able to see trees around. People kind of look a little bit the same as he saw. But he's like, I can see a bit, but it, I don't think I'm seeing how I should be seeing. Not very clear. Jesus prays again as sight is perfectly restored. But why did Jesus take two cracks at healing this guy? And why did he spit in his face? We need to assess this. Why did he pray twice? He hadn't prayed twice for anyone up until that point. Why didn't the guy get healed instantly? Everybody else had. So what was happening? A number of reasons. I think three key ones. Firstly, in that day and age, there was a real belief that saliva had healing properties. So people used saliva, they would spit on people, they would spit on wounds. They believed that it had supernatural, or not supernatural, but it had, it had healing properties. And so, uh, um, and I think what Jesus probably did in the situation, and maybe in that area was more prevalent, I believe that he was saying that actually... 
the supernatural trumps the physical. Where you guys believe that saliva brings healing and brings complete healing, sure, it might help a little bit. It might do something. But it's nothing compared to the work of supernatural healing. That could have been part of the process why I did it. One. Secondly, I think he would have done this to show the disciples, which we'll see just now, that they were spiritually not seeing him clearly. I believe that you'll see this in a little bit, that part of what he did here was actually a lesson to the disciples to say that just as this man physically didn't see clearly and then saw clearly, right now spiritually you're not seeing who I am clearly, but soon you're going to see clearly. And I, saw, I think this was a two-step process for him to get across in the spiritual what his disciples were missing. You'll see why that comes clear. And then thirdly, to grow our perseverance in prayer. We live in an age of instant gratification. I want to watch something, I want to watch it now. I want to buy something, I want to buy it now. I'm actually so grateful in Zim that if we want to buy something, whether it's from South Africa, whether it's from England, to be honest, most of us, you have to sit and go online, then we have to work out where we ship it to, and maybe in two weeks' time or four days, if we're lucky, we get it. I mean, England, that's like two hours now on Amazon. London, many places, you click it, you get it in two hours. And I'm actually grateful that we're slightly separated from instant gratification in some ways. But we can get it. We find ways of getting it. But Scripture teaches us that true life is about endurance, that it's about faithfulness, it's about long-term commitment in the same direction. And so I believe that part of what Jesus was teaching his disciples, his closest followers, that things don't always happen automatically in his kingdom. And that actually we need to persevere. There's a time that we push through. When we don't see results straight away, we don't suddenly give up on God. And this story encouraged us in this. We were with friends for a meal uh, yesterday. And uh, this one, one of my friends, we had uh, prayed for a number of months ago. He's been struggling with his back. We prayed for him uh, actually at the same place. And we prayed, and we were just talking over the meal. And uh, he was saying, you know, genuinely, it felt like my back wasn't completely healed. But he's like, I can honestly say something happened, and it was like 25% healed. So he actually came, and he was like, you know, would you mind if you guys prayed again? Because I just, I just feel like God started something, and uh, he wants to do more. And so I thought it was hugely humble of this friend of mine to say, actually, it didn't happen instantly, but could I have some more prayer? And so we prayed again. We gathered around and we prayed again. To me, it really felt like God was there. He wasn't healed of it completely again. But I'm trusting that he's going to say, actually, it feels like 75%. And uh, to me, it was a great picture today of going, there's times both in prayer, both in our faith, both in our lives, where God calls us to just step out a little bit more. There was a famous preacher called Smith Wigglesworth, crazy guy. And sometimes he felt like God tell him to do crazy guys. This is a story of someone paralyzed and documented, well documented. And he prayed for them to walk. And so he got people to like pick them up and and, and say like, no, we're going to pray for them to be healed. This person can't walk. Prayed. Okay, guys, let go. Pick them up again. We're going to do it again. Gets his guys again. Pick the person up. Pray for the person. Just pray for them to get healed. Again. Guys said it happened like six or seven times before this person was healed. And at that time, people were shouting, how can you do this? People were throwing things at him. But that person walked. I just think sometimes God calls us to persevere in our faith and listen for him and step out in perseverance because he's wanting to challenge us. Do we just want him to be a slot machine or are we prepared to be faithful even when things don't make sense? So I think that was part of what he was teaching them as well. So if you haven't been touched by God's throat, if you're dealing with a problem, it might be a mental problem, it might be a physical problem, um, whatever you're dealing with uh, in that. 
Uh, just step in. Keep pressing in if you need help. Please do that as well. Ah, oh, Rose. You see, I've got to single you guys out. Rose is just heading out there. Look, new baby, back from the UK. Give it up for uh, the new little one. Well done, Rose. You see, I didn't do it last time, so there we go. The church is expanding, you know, as we speak. I love it. The church is growing. I had to do that. It's also somebody's 50th here, hey? Michelle, are you here? Somewhere hiding. Are you there? Exactly. There we go. Give it up for a 50 stepping in halfway to 100. I love it. I had to do that, you know. <laughs> Great to celebrate. Right, let's continue with the story. Okay, so we keep going. And uh, gee, I hope you guys can read that. I'm even struggling to read that. I'm going half blind. I'll need some prayer as well afterwards. Let's continue with the story. And uh, Jesus went on and uh, with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Remember what I've just told you about the two-step process of seeing clearly what Jesus was trying to teach. They told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you guys think I am? You're my disciples. You've been with me the whole time. Who do you say that I am? Peter, always the first to speak. Usually thought afterwards, but always the first to speak. He said, you're the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And as we've journeyed through the book, there's been many people who've been trying to work out who Jesus is. Herod, who had killed John the Baptist, who actually had him executed. He also wanted to know who Jesus was. There were many trying to find out who is this guy who's doing crazy miracles, who's speaking so clearly, who is this guy? There were many questions about he truly was. Some thought he was the reincarnated John the Baptist who had just been executed. Some thought he was the reincarnated Elijah who was a prophet of old. And some just thought he was a new prophet who had arrived on the scene. But Jesus gets direct. This is what he does and it's what he'll do in your heart and he'll do it in your heart today as well. He says to his disciples, what do other people say? What's, what's the talk of the town? What do guys say about me? This, this, this. What do you think about me? What do you think about me? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. That's the word for the anointed one, the son of God, God in the flesh spoken about in years past, the one here to establish his kingdom on earth, the one the Jewish people had been waiting for. That's what Peter says, you are the Christ. That's the question that Jesus asks you and me today. Who do you say that I am? Jesus would say, now there's different perspectives about me. Some people think that I'm just one of many ways to heaven. Maybe you're sitting here today and that's what you think. You're like, well, there's Islam, there's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, you know, there's, there's Christianity. They kind of all are just different roads that lead to the same place. Everybody kind of gets to the same destination. Maybe you sort of think God is... Is, is kind of a little bit out there. And if you have some sort of belief uh, when you die, you're going to go to a happy place or to a place of peace where you're going to be with them. People always say when, when, when people die, fly high with the angels. Maybe you have this perspective that, that kind of everybody ends up there. They kind of end up in a good place. Maybe some of you think he didn't exist. Now, most scholars, whether they're Christ followers or not, would say he was a real person. But maybe some of you say, oh, it's just a figment of imagination. It's possible that you might think that. Maybe some of you say he was just a great moral teacher. He spoke great words. He was a clever guy. He was like a Gandhi. He was like a Nelson Mandela, but maybe a little bit more uh, stronger than that. But, but, but kind of, he, he spoke really wise words. Maybe that's your perspective on Jesus today. Maybe some of you believe he's a bit like a slot machine. That when life's going well, you don't need him. But suddenly when there's a crisis, that's when you come to church. 
suddenly that's when you cry out to him saying, God, I need you. But when things are going well, it's okay. But when things are tough, I need you. Jesus says, that's fine that other people have different perspectives. But I want to know what you think of me today. Who do you say that I am? Doesn't matter about what others think in society. What do you think this morning? And the answer to that will change everything. And just now we're going to see how much it's going to change your life and mine. What we decide Jesus is. C.S. Lewis had a really helpful quote for us to assess who Jesus is. I've used it many times before, but I love this. C.S. Lewis, considered to be one of the cleverest minds, the brightest minds of our time, lectured at Oxford uh, for many, many years, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. This is what he said. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, which is what the religious leaders did when they executed him on the cross. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis was saying that we can have different perspectives of who Jesus was and who Jesus is, but there's actually only one logical answer. It's the same answer that Peter gave, that he is the Christ. And so if you're here today and you're still trying to answer that question for yourself, I would say keep exploring. We've got some great booklets at the back on who is Jesus, on making the connection. Come and chat to me. Come and chat to some other leaders. But please keep exploring. Society might be saying one thing to you, but can I say to you, explore. It's the most important decision you can ever make. And Jesus then tells his disciples to keep quiet about the answer they gave. And this is because he had a specific mission and a specific time to fulfill it. And so the man who he healed... He said, hey, listen, don't go back to the village. His disciples, he said, don't share with anyone this just yet. And he kept saying this. And it's because Jesus being God and knowing everything, he knew his time to die for us was coming soon. And he needed to get things done before that. And so he was always juggling the pieces to make sure that it happened right because he's God who could do that. The great thing is, is that we live in a time where Jesus is not saying to you and I, keep quiet about me. He's saying, share me with everyone. He's saying, I've achieved what I had to do on earth. I died and rose again. And he's saying right now, you actually need to share the truth of who I am with everyone. There's no time to be quiet now. There's an urgency to share with everyone that we know and care about the truth of Jesus. And I'll share a bit about that on the end. So let's dive into exactly what we need to be sharing with those in our circles of influence, our families, our friends, our work colleagues, and the last bit. He carries on. He says, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days to rise again. And he said to his disciples plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter, who's just said Jesus is the Christ, he takes him aside and he starts to say, that's never going to happen, Jesus. There's no ways that's going to happen to you. And uh, he starts to go at him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebukes Peter with some pretty strong language. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus explains to his disciples that he's about to suffer, that he's going to be killed by the religious leaders, he's going to die on the cross, he's going to rise 
again. That he's going to be rejected as the Messiah. And Peter, his close friend, this is what I talk about seeing but not seeing clearly. Peter was a Jew. The Jewish people believed the Messiah, the anointed one, if it was to be Jesus, was going to establish his kingdom, was going to take over the Romans, was going to rule on earth, and that's what he was about to do. So for Peter, Peter was going, no, 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 Jesus, that's not how it happens. He was saying, I've read this in scripture, and I know how it's going to pan out. If you're the Messiah, you're getting ready to dominate the Romans. You're getting ready to destroy everybody who's not following you. You're about to pronounce yourself as king over earth, and you're going to start ruling and reigning. And life is going to be great for us. So he's rebuking Jesus, saying, no, Jesus, you've got it wrong. You may be saying you're God, but actually, the way it's turned out, you're not going to die. That's not how it's going to happen if you're God. I believe that you are coming to rule on earth forever. That's what the disciples and the Jewish community were expecting, and that's what the Jewish community are waiting for today. They're still waiting for the Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So like Peter, they were seeing half the story, and they are seeing half the story. And Jesus was saying, no, I am the one, and actually you've got it wrong. It's an issue of timing. See, this is what he was saying to Peter. He was saying the interpretation that Jesus is returning one day as king is correct. But your interpretation of the timing is incorrect. He was saying, I'm here now. You're still waiting for me later. But I'm here. And the way that I'm going to come to rule and reign supreme is going to happen. But not now. Because there's a battle of the heart that needs to happen before the world is, is set right. And he was coming to solve our hearts first before he solved everything else. So Jesus will return one day as king. But he first had to deal with the sin in our lives. There had to be a payment made for our sin so that we could actually have a relationship with that king in the first place. Because if Jesus did what he did and he didn't die on the cross and he ruled and reigned supreme, none of us would be able to be in his presence because he's perfect. We wouldn't be able to sustain that. And so he had to die for us first. That's what he had to do. That was and is the greatest priority for him. If it didn't happen, his return would be the most terrifying thing any of us could experience because we wouldn't be able to be with him. And for those who don't know Jesus, Jesus is coming back. He's returning. And if you don't know him, that return is the most terrifying thing you could ever imagine. Because it's a realization when he returns that I've rejected him and there's no time to change my mind. I had all my time on earth, but when he returns, there's no extra time to choose. And we see that Satan is working through the disciples and obviously didn't want this to take place. So Satan uses any means to try and prevent Jesus fulfilling his mission. Friends, setting our minds on the things of God may lead us into a life that people do not expect and that some of our friends think is unwise. We have family who live abroad, and to this day, they have no idea why I do what I do. And every time I travel there, they ask the question, like, but, but when are you going to do something else? And surely it shouldn't be in Zimbabwe. And when are you going to get a real job? And I mean, the, you know, the list kind of goes on. When I came back to Zimbabwe at the end of hyperinflation, people were like, but you should be going the other direction. You know, you're studying outside. Why would you return? Um, and so you get these questions of people, and that's when it's talking about setting our minds on things of earth, not on the things of God. It could be a case that the way God is going to be most glorified and bring the most people to faith in your life and in mine is through some of the trials and through going in the opposite direction of others. May well be that that's what happened. That was the case with Jesus. For his disciples, they were like, no, 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 there is no ways that's going to happen to you. And Jesus was saying, but actually, that's the only way that God's purpose is fulfilled, both in my life 
and yours. Do we want to suffer? Of course we don't want to suffer. Did Jesus want to go to the cross? Of course he didn't want to go to the cross. It was going to be painful and it was horrific pain. So do we want to? Not. But if it saves people from an eternity in hell, just like Jesus did, then it's worth it. So don't be afraid of suffering as a Christ follower. Don't be afraid. And if you're listening to teaching that shies away from it, kind of never wants to speak about suffering that you and I might face for the gospel, start listening to things that give a bit more of a biblical teaching. Because none of us want that. But it's a reality for many in our world. We're in the privileged few where that isn't happening. But if you're not listening to the fact or don't believe that it can be a reality, it's not a biblical perspective and it puts you on very shaky foundation when you face suffering. Because if you don't believe that it's going to happen in your life, if you don't think that it's a possibility according to Scripture, when it happens, everything crumbles. Whereas if you understand it could be a reality in your life, you don't go searching for it, but if you understand it could be a reality and that Scripture speaks about it, means that if it does happen, you have a strong foundation to stand on. Set your minds on the things of God. A great person called Chip Ingram, I'm about to close. Uh, he's written this book, Art of Survival. I'm going to get it for all of us. It's going to be a gift. And uh, he's a Bible teacher, and he speaks into many persecuted nations. And uh, he speaks to people there. He does Bible training for pastors and things like that, which is hard for us to comprehend. But I just wanted to quickly read this. He said, I met a Chinese pastor many years ago who had been beaten and tor tortured. His church grew. The authorities later put him in prison. His church grew even more. Finally, they showed up while he was preaching with hundreds of people gathered around listening. They told him they were going to kill him. His response was full of faith. He's like, you torture me, the church grows. You imprison me, the church grows even bigger. You kill me, the church will multiply beyond your worst nightmare. <laughs> After consideration, the authorities decided he was probably right and left him alone. <laughs> his, faith was not, his faith was not in what was perishable, it was in the permanent. Another lady, an Iranian woman, she came to one of his training sessions recently. When it was time for her to return back to Iran, um, which obviously it's, uh, you're not allowed to follow Christ there, which is incredibly oppressive, she asked the trainer if he could also teach them on how to die well, as she knew that their teachings would likely cost them their lives. And she was like, this whole week you've been teaching, but you've never spoken about how I die well for Jesus. Can you not teach into that? Because I'm not worried about dying. I just want to make sure that in my death, I honor Jesus in my death. I'm just like, Lord Jesus, um, what kind of a faith do we lead in our comfortable, safe northern suburbs? Uh, last year, um, he says, I sat across the table from a young doctor from Yemen who had a contract on her life for being a, a Christ follower. She matter-of-factly told me that she probably wouldn't live very long, but that her calling was more important than her life. Suffering is not the worst thing that can happen to us. The worst thing that can happen to us is firstly not knowing Jesus and secondly not living out the purpose he's called us to. And so I want us to challenge ourselves on that. Let's look at the last bit as we close. Sorry, I'll be about two minutes late. You see, we've seen Jesus demonstrate his power. Then we've seen him share who he is. And now he's going to tell us what's our response. And each of us have a response to this. Calling the crowd to him, verse 34, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words and is in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels." And whenever Jesus spoke about his life and death, he spoke about our response and the call to follow him. He was saying, I'm laying down my life for you. I'm paying the price. It's a free gift. 
It's a gift of grace. He offers it to all of us. We don't do anything to deserve it. It's a free gift. But he says, what are you going to do with that gift? Will you receive it? Will you lift me on the back of it? What are you going to do with it? And the first step in following Jesus means to deny ourselves. That means to recognize that we can't do it on our own, that we need help. That goes flat out against self-help manuals and the teaching around in our world, which is what we do in life is to do the best that we can and to live for ourselves, our own happiness, our children's happiness. That's the focus. But actually, Jesus says it's a recognition that we need his forgiveness for our sin, that having a relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with our own merit, with our own goodness, with trying harder, but it's the recognition of our weakness that actually helps us to find life. It's what denying me, denying means. And then he says after that is to take up our cross. Now the cross was a symbol of death, crucifixion. And so yes, it could mean potential death. Yeah, I would love to see. I don't want to see martyrs amongst us as Hope Church. But one thing I would love to see, and we're going to pray about this going forward, is actually God putting on some of your hearts to say we feel him calling us to go out to some of the hardest places on earth. And it might cost us our lives, but we actually don't care because we want to see people come to faith. And I think God's going to start doing that. He's going to start doing that among some of our teenagers. He's going to start doing that among some of us. Where God's going to put a nation on your heart. And we will pray you out from here. We don't know what the end result on earth will be. We'll send you out. But we'll be excited to see what God does on the back of that. And so I think that's going to happen um, as we step into those things. So yes, it means the potential of suffering. But more than that, it's daily dying to our wants, to our desires, and in exchange, living for him. It's about making him and his way priority. We live in the me generation. That's what we live in. It's all about me. That's how we live. And so it's difficult to follow him. But when we look at Christ and what he's done for us, everything changes. And the overflow is incredible. If we die to ourselves, it means we become the best spouses that there are. We become the best parents. We become the best employees and the best employers. We become the best friends when we die to ourselves. As we close, the results of our choice to follow him or not follow him couldn't be more opposite. You see, if we try to find purposeful life, he says, by making ourselves the center of the universe, we never find it. That's what he says. We will never find purposeful life. On earth, we live with a constant sense of having to achieve more, to be more successful, to have a better girlfriend, to go to get a better grade, to buy a bigger home, to renovate, to travel more. We just live with this constant sense of more. We've got to do more. We've got to have more. We've got to build bigger bank accounts. We've got to grow our retirement funds. It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's the law of diminishing returns. But worse than all of that, if you've never given your life to Christ, you can have a taste of the good life now. But you have an eternity outside of God's presence. And that's the worst thing. When Jesus says you can try to save your life, you lose it. That's what he's talking about. You can try to live it on your own. Do it on your own terms. But when you die, hell is the only option because it's separation from God for all eternity. And we don't want that at all. But it's a reality. Anyone who doesn't follow Jesus, that's the reality. And that's why we want to share the truth of Jesus with everyone. And if you haven't given your life to Christ today, I'd love you to make that decision. And some of you may be saying, but I, I don't know if I know Jesus. Well, I think I do. I've been at Hope Church for a while. I kind of think I believe. Can I tell you a great indicator of whether you know Christ or not? It's not the only indicator, but it's a great indicator of whether you know Jesus here today. The good indicator is, do you actually want to follow him? If he's changed you from the inside out, you will. That's how you know if you've given your life to Christ. We won't do it perfectly, but you'll just want to follow him. You'll want to be with his people. You'll want to honor him. You'll want your life to line up with scripture because he's changed you from the inside out. It's a good indicator 
if, um, if the desire of your heart is to follow him, that you've given your life to him. And if not, you can be sure today. And if you're a Christ follower today, don't slip into the old ways of thinking. Don't slip into the old ways of living. Sure, your home in heaven is secure, but don't live a dissatisfied life because you're fighting to keep yourself in the driving seat. It's daily denying ourselves that brings radical joy and radical purpose. We find true life as we offer our lives to Christ. Whatever the suffering, whatever the cost, whatever the trial we face for Jesus, it's worth it. There's a cost, there's a sacrifice, but it's a joyful one. And it's worth it for all eternity. I'll share this and then we'll stand and pray. Um, maybe for some of you new to Hope Church and stuff, you know, one of the ways we can sacrifice is by serving Jesus within these walls, outside of these walls. And one thing I would challenge you to if you count Hope Church as home, it's called the two-hour challenge. And my challenge would be to say, how can I serve Jesus for two hours a month? 0.3% of our time. I know there's many in this room who are, there's many who aren't, but that would be my challenge for you going forward. Could I give Jesus two hours to serve him within these walls, beyond these walls, and just see what he starts to do in your life as you do that? 0.3% of your hours in the month ahead. Should we stand? We can just close our eyes for a short moment. If you've never given your life to Christ, today he is saying to you, who do you say that I am? He's saying people have different opinions, but who do you say that I am? And you don't have to do anything special. You don't have to uh, suddenly start dressing a certain way or saying something a certain way. But if you've sat here and you've gone, I, I don't believe but right now I know that Jesus is the king. I know that my heart's starting to race. I know that I need to make a decision to follow him. I thought he's one of many ways. Now I've seen that he died for me on the cross. I've seen that he is the way to heaven. I've seen that I need him. I can't do it on my own strength. If that's you today, I'd love you to slip up your hand. No one's looking around. It's a bold step of faith. It's a courageous step of faith. You saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to ask him into my heart. I want to him to change me from the inside out. I want, to, I want heaven to be home one day. If that's you, I'd love you to slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Um, it'll help me to see, but more importantly, Jesus. If there's anyone here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I'd love you to do that. Maybe you're sitting going, I, I'm just not exactly sure. I think I might have, but I'm, I'm not really sure, but I want to be sure today. You can do that. You can pop up your hand. Doesn't matter how old you are, you can do that right now. Anybody, anybody today? Lord Jesus, if anyone uh, wants to make that decision, or maybe was a little bit scared of the hands and stuff, you can still make that decision. Come and chat to me afterwards. You can give your life to Christ today. Don't leave here without being settled and secure that He's in your heart. And for the rest of us, Lord Jesus. I pray as Hope Church that we would live as a people sold out for you. We would follow you with all our hearts. You would be in the driving seat. You would be priority above everything else. You would take priority over our marriages, priority over our parenting, priority over the marketplace, priority over the schools our children go to, priority over our futures. You would be priority and the rest would fall into place. I pray you'd give us courage to make changes in our lives. I pray that as we see the beauty and the wonder of what you did for us on the cross as we revel in the free gift of grace you've given us. 
it would be this overflow of joy to offer our lives to, to you, to see many people come to faith. Thank you for this wonderful time together. In your name we pray. Amen. If you didn't make a decision to follow Jesus, but you still want to, um, there's time. Come and see me afterwards. If you want prayer for anything else, please come to the front. The word that Nick shared, if you're wanting prayer for that, please do come and see him as well. Otherwise, have a brilliant week. Sorry we're a bit over. Sign up if you want to serve or anything. Tea and coffee. We'll catch up soon. Thanks so much.